Yeah, I would love to see Harry Giles play. Um, so, welcome back to another edition of Duke Basketball Junkies. I'm your host, Michael Eckstadt. Here with me is Peter Rowe. Hello, Duke Nation. Um, is everybody excited yet? I am getting excited, I gotta tell you. Uh, this is me excited. <laughs> Pretty excited. Alright, so we had two games this week. We had the premiere, uh, the debut of uh, Jason Tatum, Marcus Bolden. Marquise. Marquise Bolden. Thank you. Say it again. Marquise. All right. Jason Tatum, though. Jason Tatum. How about Jason Tatum? Kobe-esque, offensively. Kobe-esque. All right. Let's uh, so we have let's Russell, get it out of the way. Our, our backcourt is Russell Westbrook and Kobe Bryant. All right, let's get it out of the way then. Jason Tatum, uh, we the first game he didn't play. He played, but he wasn't as big an overall force as in the second game. Uh, I when he came, came on the court, I was like, "Wow, he's long, long arms, long arms." And I got to tell you, in the first game, I thought his ball handling was a little wonky, little loose. Um, second game, he was. And I think I told you, I said, wow, this guy, this guy could be one of the great de- de- defensive players we've had, just based on like l- little snippets of flashes in the first game. And the second game, it was he had added all the offense too. What, what were your first glance impressions? Just Kobe Bryant on offense? You didn't think about defense? Um, I, I probably don't share your thoughts about him regarding defense. Uh, just because we've only seen him for you know 20 minutes and 25 30 minutes but he certainly you know has the capability like his his body frame he's six eight he's tall and he's got those long arms yeah at the peak like he could maybe be like a Stacy Ogman Scotty Pippen like he's got the body for that but I, I I'm still way more impressed with his offense which seems very polished as opposed to his defense so I think he's bigger than those guys by by a bit. And he's longer as well. Um, he's listed at six eight. I mean, I don't know, but he could certainly be one of our bigs. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, he could play. I think he could play any could position play except probably point guard. He did bring it up he a couple times, a times yeah. but uh, yeah, I don't know if he could if he was guarded by a guard. I don't think he'd embarrass himself. I don't think it would be optimal. But uh, what I see, my my scouting, and I'm the guy who. Peg Mason Plumley as an NBA future NBA Hall of Famer. Uh, this five minutes into his career, and so I wasn't exactly right there, but obviously super talented. I think. I think overall you're a pretty good talent evaluator. Thanks, buddy. Uh, what I see is incredible hands, like Shane Battier type quick hands, like poking balls from behind, from out of position, from when he's in position. You're talking just, defensively. On defense, well, not just on defense. Hands for. Hands like making pokes, steals, causing problems, you know, uh, for, for the other team when they're on offense. But I also see he's like a slightly out of position, affecting rebounds, making tips on rebounds, grabbing rebounds with like one hand awkwardly. He's just got mitts. And when he handles the ball, you can see how big his hands are. It's almost like maybe it's a little hard for him to handle the ball because his hands are so big. It's crazy. This guy is like, Inspector Gadget, you know? Yeah, that actually, yeah, I, I agree with you there. Just some of the things he did offensively and defensively, it just seemed like 
It was like Spider-Man with his with his arms. Seems so rangy. Super rangy. Spider-Man. Jump ability. Yeah, I mean he's got he's got certain tools that I think are special, and it's his, the hands on rebounding. It's his defensive reactions. But it's also like unusual the way he was posting from like posting up eighteen feet from the basket, yeah. and like just hitting turnaround jumpers. He could, do, with, he could either go with his back to his defender or or face up to the basket, and he was just a triple threat. The, the announcer uh, was it Dick Vitale compared him to Jamal Wilkes. I thought Larry Nance. I thought like Terry Catledge. You're really dating yourself. <laughs> Just stick with Kobe Bryant. I used Everyone to watch. Sort of knows Kobe Bryant. I used to watch basketball. I, he doesn't remind me of Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant. Those three offensive moves definitely. Kobe Bryant seems more of a quick twitch kind of player. I wasn't. I actually don't think Jason Tatum's sort of like. He doesn't seem He's lightning lightning fast to me, and he doesn't seem like <clears throat> like Russell Westbrook is quick twitch. Allen Iverson, like, just Frank boom, Jackson. boom, 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 boom. Frank Jackson. I'm not sure Frank Jackson belongs in that conversation, but, but yeah, <laughs> maybe a little more. But but he's, like, uh, more like Dr. J. Hey, let's call him Dr. J. Again, this is before anyone's time. I don't think he's the leaper that Dr. J was, so I don't want to, you know, but the hands. There's only, like, three Come on, man. televised footages of Dr. J doing that windmill underneath the basket reverse. Let's stick to like yeah. modern day players. People know who Dr. J is, please. I mean, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's myth, mythology. Uh, Dr. J begat Michael Jordan, but there, you know, Dr. J was more of a forward. He was taller, he was longer, and he was more deliberate. Yeah, I mean, this but is just beautiful. He's just a beautiful athlete. You know, we're making all these comparisons, but I mean, this is the beauty of watching freshmen play. I mean, this is the best. This is my favorite part of every year. It's a little bit delayed this year, but, you know, with every incoming freshman class, you know, we usually have one, two, three super highly touted freshmen. And we get and excited. It, yeah, and it takes a while. It takes three, four, five games before we can get gain a grasp of what, what they're going to be like. And I, I still feel like with Tatum, we're just scratching the surface. Like maybe he's, maybe he's better than this. And it's good to see him against good competition. I thought Florida was 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 Florida. very good. Like the first 10, see, 15 minutes, twenty minutes, like it seemed like. And even like towards the end, we didn't really close them out well. Like they cut it down to seven points. And I'm still a little bit troubled by our defense. Like I think our offense is clearly, you know, if if not the best, one of the best offenses in the country. But Defense is a little. Uh, well, I know. I know. On the Ken Palm ratings, they're not in the top ten on defense yet. They will be. Let me tell you, they Jason will, Tatum. They will be. I think Jason Tatum is going to be one of the best defensive players ever to play at Duke, and I think he's going to be an all defensive NBA team kind of guy. I mean, he's blocking shots. They're big guy. I thought. I too thought Florida looked really good. And super athletic. And at the beginning yes. of the game, before yeah. they put Tatum in, I thought, wow, these guys might, are, might be better athletes than our guys. Yeah, right? And, and you you know that's the case when... Um, but you know when that changed. Yeah, hold on. Uh, let, yeah, when Tatum comes in. When Tatum comes in, half, it changed. But you can tell immediately when the other team is like that because against lesser teams, less physically talented teams, Grayson Allen has his way with dribble penetration and he can physically overpower whoever's guarding him but against the better equally physically talented teams like he, he sort of seems 
not overmatched, but like he's forcing it at the end of his drives. Like he's not, he can't beat the guy off the dribble. Okay, let's get into Grayson. This is not Grayson. This is Grayson 80%, 70%. He shouldn't play. It's Bizarro Grayson. He should, he should rest. I, I mean, he's helping us on the court. He's still a great player. The he's, passing. He's, he's made some great passes. Great passes. I, his and two-man game with Luke Kennard on the perimeter yeah. on a couple of plays, it was sensational. There, there, there was some passing in the uh, Florida game where there was extra passes made where the thought crossed my mind, This, I haven't seen passing this good in, in, in any Duke team. Like, could be one of the best passing Duke teams in recent memory. It, it reminded me of John Shire and Kyle Singler and Nolan Smith. Um, you know, that, that team moved the ball really well. This, yeah. But it also reminded me a little of like the way Golden State plays, you know, without as many amazing shooters. Uh, yeah, I could see so, sort of like know. a mini Golden State super team uh, comparison. I could definitely see that with extra passes being made. I mean, um, Emil's the Emil's. He's not a stretch five, but he's he's the you know you have one big guy essentially, and then everybody else can be perimeter. Some of them go inside outside. I mean, I guess we could compare Jason Tatum to Draymond. Like that might be a, a pretty I, decent comparison. That's but definitely not a good comparison. He's he's obviously like isn't it crazy? Draymond's one of the top twenty players in the NBA, yeah. and you're probably thinking to yourself, he's better than that. No, no, no. <laughs> what <laughs> I'm saying, like what more, I'm saying is Draymond is probably like all all world defensively. I just don't see the defense in Jason Tatum that that you do. And I'm talking about eighteen year old Draymond versus eighteen year old Jason Tatum. I'm not saying Jason Tatum's better than Draymond yet. Don't get me wrong, he's not. Well, he may not even be that great of a college player yet. I, I think but, they're they're much different players. Way 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 different. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think I think Tatum. I just I got I keep talking about Tatum. I think he's incredible. Like I am super excited. I don't know that he's not gonna he doesn't need to score twenty points a game because we have plenty of offense. But when he came into the game and I thought Florida was like keeping up with us and maybe a little overmatching us on the. On the athletic front, especially when Emil came out of the game, yeah, you know we didn't have any answers. Chase Chase went in after Bolden picked up the two quick fouls. Yeah, he didn't play long. You were right about Chase Jeter not getting minutes after these guys come back. But when Jason Tatum came in the game, and he asserted himself on both ends of the court, he was he was the best athlete on the court. You know, and he and I thought they were athletic. This is what athletic looks like. Are you kidding? You're not, you're not totally well, sold yeah, yet, I, but I, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't, like, he didn't strike me as super athletic, I, and, I, and I'm not saying he's not athletic, he just seems so polished offensively, and maybe I, I just don't, disagree, maybe I disagree with you defensively, just because he didn't seem super quick laterally, you know, staying in front of his man, like, like, he and sort of Grayson, like, they both sort of get out of position a little bit defensively, because they either get beat, or they, they're just gambling, you know, mm-hmm. Well, you remember Grant? Well, I don't know if you remember Grant. Grant Hill was a freshman. Yeah. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't the best player in the country. You, no, you, I, I wasn't a Duke fan until probably well, after I, he, I, I got there. He, he played meaningful minutes, and he was a defensive stopper. Yeah. Shane Battier as a freshman was a defense guy. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't. He was a garbage guy. Right. Because they didn't need his scoring, and it was only sophomore year, junior year that he. I was like, okay, I'll put this on my shoulders. I can handle that. Yeah. Uh, this team doesn't need offense either, really. I mean, it never hurts to have more weapons. And if Tatum's a better offensive player, like if he's a more efficient offensive player than some of these guys, great. We can use that. 
But we don't have what he offers on defense, I think. Uh, yeah. That's irreplaceable. He's really the only 6'8 guy. Like, Emil 6'8, but I feel like he's a little bit more low low post defender. Low post defender. I mean, he can he can guard the perimeter. Yeah. I mean... Um, so, we'll, I mean, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. We'll see with Tatum, but obviously we were both super impressed. Like, we understand why he's a top three lottery pick uh, candidate because... 100%. He's... Uh, He's, he just he's seems, got it. He seems incredible, and he seems very, very polished. Pretty polished. My only my, the downside is I don't think he's a good. I don't think he's a great ball handler. And, six, eight, so and he's very good. unruly with the ball, and it could be he doesn't have his legs under him. I mean, this is him playing <clears throat> after not really playing. Yeah. Oh my he's gosh. Been sitting, he's been sitting a while, and that's our excuse for Bolden because he doesn't look super sharp. And he's also more of a true big. Those guys. Take a little longer. Develop, develop at a slower pace. Except for Okafor, Boozer, oh, well, uh, Elton Brand. They come in. They're the best player on the team right away. or the, Just an instant. Yeah. Offensively. Know, offensively. Offensively, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, Bolden, again, coming off an injury. And we don't know. Tatum, Bolden's injury are different. And we don't know what they rehab, how much they're practicing. Bolden reminds me, physically, of Okafor. You know, his haircut. You know his general build. Baby fat. He's a little soft. Yeah. Baby fat. Yeah. I think he's more in shape than Okafor was. I think maybe. He's, I think he's a little bigger and a little rangier than Okafor. But yeah. he seems slow. Yeah. So, he so far. Certainly doesn't seem quick. Yeah. And my guess is that's most most bigs aren't quick. Though. It's due to the injury. I think it's probably due to the injury. Yeah. And it's like with Grayson. You know how hard. Like you know people are asking me about Grayson. I can't really be hard on him because, you know, that losing a step or losing two steps is the difference maker for him. So pivotal to his game. Yeah. I think he should probably ease up on the driving, the driving and trying to finish it. Right. He can drive to kick or drive to pass. He could drive to pull up. But well, he's to yeah. driving to finish, he's not finishing strong. Yeah, or until he gets healthy. Yeah, until one, he, gets he could rest since we have three relatively easy games coming up. Or two, just just get in the mindset of passing or just being a three point specialist and not putting his body in harm's way until he feels better. I don't know why you wouldn't sit him for the next six weeks. Let him shoot. Let him. Yeah. Let him do light light work in practice. I don't know why he needs to. Reaggravate that injury at all? Yeah, it's I mean, it seems like, and and we touched on this earlier, like just the way the nature, the way he plays the game, he's gonna get hurt. He's gonna re, if he has a lingering injury, he's gonna reaggravate it. So yeah, he can't help himself. He's got to go hard. Right, and and I know Coach K has said in, in press conferences that he has like a turf toe injury that won't get um, significantly worse by playing. So they're not, you know, threatening his health, but yeah, it seems I guess like that's what it, is. It, it seems like he just gets gimpy. How know? do those things get better? How much rest do you need? I don't know. Yeah, um, if it's the kind of thing we're taking five weeks off, you know, good chance it cures it. Take five weeks off. I mean, the ACC season doesn't start till January. No, uh, right? End, end of December. One game at the end yeah. of December. We've got, we've got, you know, we've got. But we're gonna beat teams anyways. Yeah. We've got. I mean, you know, we got. We have UNLV. We've got two really easy teams after that, and I think UNLV is going to be a pretty significant dog, probably like thirty point dog against us. Um. So I think he can certainly wait for like 
three weeks, and then I think the first game is Virginia Tech, December 31st. Okay. Um, so let, let's talk about Bolden for a second a little more. I think oh, also, I, I, I've, I've, like in previous podcasts, I, I meant to ask you, like, let's say you're Grayson Allen and you're a leading contender for National Player of the Year. Like, how much of your own press clippings do you read preseason? How much is that in your head, like, oh, okay, I'm going to be the man, I need to score 25 a game, and then I'm going to be Player of the Year, and then I'm going to go to the NBA. Like, how much of that do you think sort of – like, he's very aggressively offensively. We know that, but, like – do you think that plays into his mentality at all coming into the season? Like, you know, maybe the first handful of games, you know, he was, he's chucking up a lot of shots. Well, I think he's used to making more of them. Yeah. And he's used to them needing him more from last year. Right. But I think, I think he's a team guy. I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think he's selfish. Yeah. I think he's, he's playing hard. He's playing to win the game. When it comes time to accept the role of who, we need a score, who's going to get it. Grayson Allen wants to be the guy. And you want all of your guys to have that in them. And even the best players, Harrison Barnes, guys like that, spend years not wanting that, you know, not wanting to do that. And they, they take a back seat. They defer in big moments. People used to say that about LeBron, you know, when he was young. Like, it's that's just killer instinct. Even but, in his Miami days, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And. But no, I, th- I, mean, like, I think I he's just, a good team player. Yeah. He's passing well. I just I just yeah. think he's going I, through something, and I, and you know somebody is he not going to be an NBA player? I think the NBA player just he'll be an NBA player when he's healthy. You know? Yeah. And but right now we don't we don't we don't necessarily need all the different things he can do on the court. He can be a spot up shooter and a passer. Yeah, he could he could certainly if like if he's not healthy, you know the coaches can just say, hey, look, we need you to be like. Andre Dawkins, you know, just shoot the open three. Yeah, I mean, then then you, then again, you, you lose that that drive and kick, that drive and pass, and it is important. Right. I think he just needs to make a slight adjustment for his like marginal decrease in athleticism. Or, yeah, you know, push off his foot, whatever it is. Right. Or or he can, um, you know, Luke Kennard and Grayson, they they both have very similar games in that they're very good outside shooters, but they can also dribble penetrate and shoot the 10, 12 footers, you know, and Luke seems much more controlled within himself with ball fakes, pump fakes, getting open shots. And you don't see Grayson doing quite that as often where he's dribbling to maybe the free throw line and then either shooting that 15 footer or making a, he He wants to take a layup dunk or shoot the three. Yeah. There's not a a lot of, not as, not as developed of a mid range game. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. And 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 Luke has to do that because he's not as athletic as, as Grayson. But I think everybody needs to take it easy on Grayson and not judge because the guy is the guy is doing it for the team. He's playing through pain and he's just a warrior. So, you know, I think people people should recognize that. I, I tend to agree with you, but then shouldn't you ask Coach K like why are you resting these freshmen and not Grayson? Absolutely. Like, I mean, if Jason, Jason Tatum's back now and Bolden can play, no, no, not sick, sick, sick Grayson on the bench for a month, and do the do the right things, protect him from himself. Yeah. And, you know, we have we have enough leadership on the court. It's, it, I mean, that's what's great about this team. We have duplicative skill sets and leadership abilities, and you know, he's going to be a leader from the bench too. Yeah. Uh, Bolden, back to it real quick. Haven't seen enough, basically, right? It, 
he once he picked up those two fouls and Tatum got on his game and Coach Kidd Coach him, right? Pretty much. I mean, <laughs> he he didn't see the court. I mean, it could have been like it's 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 unbelievable. It's just that even with all these guys, six. again, Coach Case goes to six people, six players get all the minutes. Chase six. Jeter and Marquise got maybe two or three minutes each. It's I think, amazing. I think I looked after the game and Chase had it was under ten for sure. But yeah, basically six guys playing all the minutes again, yeah. Yeah. and like. What happens when Giles comes back? Was one of these guys isn't Frank Jackson's not going to play at all? I, like, I, I you thought know. Frank Jackson got lost in this game. Frank Jackson you know, did nothing. Yeah, he started. He he played maybe like twenty minutes, but then Tatum started in the second half, and you know it's just got to be so difficult for these guys. I mean, Frank Jackson is such a talent, and he was probably like clearly the man in high school. But then he comes to Duke. You know, it's clear that he can he can make clutch shots in big games like he did in the Kansas game, but. When you see Luke and Tatum and Emil and even Grayson, like you're really like the fifth option, you know? Like he, if, if like how do these how do these guys process like their role on the team, the jigsaw puzzle? Like how how do these kids as 18, 19, 20 year olds process? You know, how much should I shoot? How much should I run this team? You know, and when Giles comes back, that's going to be even more of a, more of an issue. Like, you know, like Bill Simmons in the Book of Basketball presents the idea that every team there's like an alpha dog, an yeah, alpha male. Yeah, you can't who, all be the who like who like leads the team, and if there are too many, it's never going to work out. Like Miami Heat didn't win their championships until Dwayne Wade ceded that alpha dog status to LeBron. So on this team, coming into the season, everyone just assumed it was going to be Grayson Allen. But at this point, like, who's, who's the you know, top dog? From the outside looking in, that's what people would think. I think everybody who was even on the team last year and listening to John Shire's interview with Emil and hearing him talk about him, I think he's been, like, the backbone, the leadership backbone. Yelling. Did you see him in that one timeout just lighting into his teammates? That, that's that's what they love, man. And yeah. and I don't think it has I, to be... I, I think he was a little too... He was too much. Like, I feel like if I were playing on the court, I would say, okay, okay, I get it. Just 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 settle down a little bit. Like, he was just a little too excited. I think I think Coach K wants everyone to be a leader. Everyone to have, res- like, more moral responsibility yeah. for the team communication. Yeah. Once everybody bought in, and you're not playing if you're not bought in, obviously... And yeah, at the same time, some people have to take a backseat to the one or two or three team captains. And if you've noticed over the years, there's been a lot of years where there's three captains. There's been years where there's two captains. Right. There's, it's less, I think it's less frequent that there's only one captain. And I think it shows you, Coach K is all about leadership. So he, you know, he, he believes in multiple points of leadership. Yes. That way, you know, if one guy's having a tough day or whatever, something goes on with them, you know, there's other people. There's other people in people's ears. And it's clear to me that Emil and Grayson are just alpha leaders. Uh, and Jason uh, Tatum seems like a natural kind of, like, by example, a leader. Like, he's doing all the right things, but I think he probably understands. He doesn't need to be the more vocal and, like, Shout down! It's not have to be. It doesn't have to be competitive, yeah. right? The NBA is a little different. 
I think. Maybe it's much, much different. Because they're basically fighting for fame. It's almost a completely different game. Yeah, and in the NBA, you have 24 seconds. And the faster you get the ball off the court, the more optimal your your advantage is early in the shot clock. And because other than that, you know, if you don't get into a, a good shot quickly, you're just playing against that shot clock. In college basketball, you get to pass the ball around. And it, it's hard to get into an NBA set and get really, really good ball movement. And, you know, I mean, unless you're Golden State in the NBA, it seems like it's just a lot of high ball yeah. screens and, and pick and rolls. Watch how fast Golden State gets the ball up the court, you know, when you watch them play. So they have extra time to make those passes. And then they, you know, they have multiple death positions. You know, they have three or four guys who can score. So, it, it, you know, they all share. Yeah. Um, but yeah, people are worried about that with Golden State. Who's going to be the alpha, Kevin Durant or Curry? It doesn't have to be one or the other. I know, like, if you're playing with Michael Jordan, you probably have to be second fiddle. And if you're playing with Larry Bird, Larry Bird, yeah, there's certain. It, it depends on the on the players. I Kobe think. Bryant, yeah, the, but I mean, those guys are never gonna. But if you're out, you know, Allen Iverson's your best player, and he's a certain type of leader, but he's really not, he wasn't a leader. He's like the leaders on that, the leaders on that team. You need to, all night yeah, partying, you needed to surround him with leaders. Clowning practice in front of the whole <laughs> the whole world. Yeah, he got a bad rap on the practice thing, but he he it was an, a bit irresponsible his whole career, no doubt. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he had Aaron McKee, he had Eric Snow, he had he had uh, George Lynch. Had, they, those guys were the leaders on those teams. He had basically no one. Well, in terms of talent, yeah, he had, he had teammates. In terms of they leadership. weren't an elite NBA talent, but they were. Elite NBA role players yeah. and elite leaders. consummate professionals with limited, yeah. limited talent. So that brings me to sort of the, the weird tension on this team and kind of be sustained. We have ultra talented young guys, and the older guys going into the season, at least, I thought Emil was less talented. I thought Matt Jones was less talented, and they're more that they're they're the they're the out of the six top guys right now. They're the lowest draft picks. Right. Well, Matt Jones won't get drafted. Emil Jefferson probably won't get drafted. I think Emil probably probably will get drafted in some spot, but he's certainly not a lottery pick. I don't think anyone's talking about him that way, unless he develops a three pointer. Emil <laughs> Jefferson? Yeah, he does. Will not get drafted. Uh, all right, we'll see. I mean, a lot of guys go in the second round, but yeah, maybe not. I've know. never heard of. I don't know what world you're living in. I know he's not Emil in the. Jefferson <laughs> won't get drafted. Listen, if he start, if he's he, playing great, and I love the guy. I mean, if he if he puts up 22 and 14, you know, two out of every three games, guess what? He's going to get drafted. <clears throat> Everyone in the NBA has to have an outside shot. He can, he he still doesn't have an outside shot, and the 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 shots that he's making currently will be swatted in the NBA. Yeah, but I mean, he's still serviceable in the NBA. I just don't think he'll be drafted. Like in the second round, teams are going to take high upside guys with crazy athleticism. I generally agree with you. I mean, he's definitely not. But what's interesting, earlier in our podcasting, a couple podcasts ago, you asked me, would I rather have two Emil Jeffersons or Emil and a Marcus? Marquise. Why isn't it Marcus? (laughs) Emil and Marquise or Harry Giles. And I was like... Mm. I never included Harry Giles. Oh, you didn't? No. It was was always... uh, Bolden... Oh, yeah, I just wanted to present the hypothetical. I mean, I thought Emil was playing so well. Yeah, and it's very clear. He's, I mean, I don't know who's playing better. I guess Kennard, maybe. 
Kennard and Emil but, Jefferson. But, but Kennard can be replaced. I'm not sure Emil's production down low like that could be as easily replaced. He'd have to be replaced by a couple of guys. Yeah, and it's they—they're both. It's like two of the better stretches of, of play I've seen. You know. Yeah, Bo- I think Boozer, his junior year down the stretch, um, was was incredible. Um, he came back but, from the injury. Uh, mm, I remember before the injury. Uh, was his injury his last year? His junior year. <laughs> he definitely didn't play four years, did he? Yeah. No, no, but I, I can't yeah. remember if it was his sophomore year. Um, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Like he, I mean, he was just making everything. I, I think he was shooting like 7% from the field his junior year. Uh, but Well, Emil's doing it all over the court and the leadership. It's just very, very impressive. Yeah. And he started off last year playing well, but even though I liked him a lot, I, never, I, didn't, I didn't know he could play quite this well. And he, he, he's like, he you know, he's 30 well. years old and he's playing against 20-year-olds. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but la- I mean, last year he was averaging like 11.5 and, and 9, so it wasn't that far off. But it's just that... I mean, the last few games, I don't know what his stats are. I don't have them in front of me, but... This game was incredible. Was he like 24, 15, and 15? And the defense... And, and, the, and the thing is, is that... Here's the most important thing. Like, in the first 10, 15 minutes of the Florida game... It really seemed like a game, you know. It seemed like it could go either way, and and shots weren't falling for us. Like we we're sort of searching offensively. Yeah, we could have been down ten if yeah, not for Emil. Exactly. And and and, yeah. and who who produced for us? It was really only Luke and Emil, and that was it. And they were both shooting so efficiently. You know, Luke with his all around outside inside game, and Emil with his he's somehow just seventy percent from the field. Uh, yeah, and he's calling for the ball. They're calling plays for him. It's unbelievable. I mean, we're in for a treat. I think we're in the we're gonna the next the whole season. No matter what happens in the tournament, it's gonna be fantastic to watch these guys. Just real, like I'm super excited. It's gonna be one of the best years. Yeah, I the 2015 team was a team that I feel like I I liked the most. Like it was the first team in many years where I found myself when I was watching a game by myself in the living room where I was clapping in, in the middle of games, you know, like they'd make a great defensive player that a shot would go and I'd, I'd clap. So I, I really love that 2015 team. I sort of feel the same way about this team, um, but also with just all the talent that's on the floor and on the bench, like it's very reminiscent of that 99 team, you know, where Corey Maggette couldn't even start on that team. And uh, Well, this is, yeah. Chris Carroll uh, future All ACC Player of the Year was like the fifth wheel on the floor, but Coach K had to talk him into getting into the mindset that he was the true leader of the team. Like the team was only going to go as far as Chris Carrawell, even though he was surrounded by all these absolute studs. You know, Ellen Brand, Shane Battier, Trajan, and Will Avery. Um, Chris Carrawell came in. I mean, that guy had talent. If he didn't have his shoulder surgeries, you know, shoulder injuries, I think Carrawell would have would have would have been way better. I'm still surprised he didn't have a career as a pro. I don't know what Chris Carroll is doing now. Next podcast, guys, we're going to update you on Chris Carroll. I think he was briefly... Is he in Europe? Is he, he was briefly he, a coach at Duke. Like, he came in at the same time as Nate James. He was like one of those background operational type of guys. And so then, what did he graduate in, like, 2003? Yeah, and then when Nate James was maybe promised a coaching position or whatnot, I think Chris Carroll coached the Duke women's team for at least... Oh, he a, did. For at least a year, maybe longer, I don't know. And then since then, he's tapered off. I don't know where he went after that. He but, had an incredible junior and senior year. Yes. 
Uh, anyhow, back to back to this year's team. Uh, we should probably try to wrap up our, uh, our our. We didn't really mention this weekend's game uh, against oh, Maine. No, no the last one, Maine. Yeah, it's embarrassing that Maine was on the schedule. Embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Well, you know, apparently Maine had had a couple of really good players transfer. Did you see they they flashed up that that graphic? Two of their top guys transferred. How about the Turkish guy? How about that Turkish guy scoring guy, twenty? Guy shooting all the threes. Shooting all the threes, putting back rebounds. He like that guy came to play. Yeah, I mean the only what was his name Erg. Something like that. <laughs> the only thing memorable from that game was uh, in their warmups they had the the rainbow uh, shirt. Yeah, you know, sort of protesting the uh, North Carolina transgender bathroom law. Yes, They're big moving. statement. I mean that's the only real takeaway I had from the game. That and I was, there really was no publicity about Tatum and Bolden coming back. Right, I was just floored when I, I saw mean, them. I couldn't believe that. They, I mean, that I they almost texted you and said, "Emergency pod, we gotta, we gotta talk about this." Yeah, I and think it, I saw it on delay. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but you know, Tatum was starting, so I was already just surprised and flabbergasted. And then to see Bolden come in, I was like, "Oh my god!" And it. And it's still possible that on this team of unbelievable talents that the best player is not available. Harry Giles is the best prospect of everybody in his in his purest form. Yeah, I think Tatum's gonna be close, but I agree with you. Because yeah, he might have problems. Bigs are, are, are rarer. Right. Although in the you know, in today's basketball, you know shooters. It's about shooters. Um, and that brings us back to Luke Kennard, and we'll we'll talk more about Luke Kennard. But I did want to ask you what you thought of how cocky he seemed. Was he taunting I, the other team? He wasn't taunting the other team. I mean, he was. He was. Uh, I I wasn't a fan of it. One because like I didn't think it just came off that well. But I think he was. You know, he just felt really good about himself, and he was just, just feeling just, his just, Steph just Steph Curry onions, talking to himself. But yeah, I mean, I I I thought. I mean, it looked like he was saying things out loud directed towards the other team no, after he hit. I, I, I didn't think so. I think he was like, come on. It was like, um, I feel like when he goes back and he looks at the tape and he sees how poorly he looks, he probably, hopefully, won't do that again. But It was entertaining. I don't think it was trash talk directed towards the yeah. other team. I think he was just, he, I mean, the, well, guy, the, guy, the guy went 8 for 11 or, or yeah. something like that from the field. Like, he was literally hitting everything. And he's been on such a hot stretch. He was just doing backflips in his head about the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they like, slow-moed that one, that one, like, joker smile he yeah, unleashed. He's, like, he's like head-bobbing and saying, <laughs> come on. Like, I mean, this is this is why people hate J.J. Redick and Luke Kennard and Grayson Allen. Like, not not only are they are they good and but, will they send a dagger in your in your heart in the, in the tight game, but they'll do stuff like that on the court. Yeah, although Steph Curry does this stuff and people love him. Although maybe the the worm has turned uh, a little yeah, on him. I, I feel like the last few years people have turned on him because it's like stop skipping around, dude. You know, like yeah. just a little, you know. Yeah. Um. All right. Yeah. I wanted. To, I, I definitely wanted to get your take on that. Any other uh, etiquette issues? How's Coach K been in the post game handshakes? I know you're. You analyze this all the time. Uh, they haven't shown it. They haven't shown too many, but I think he's been he's been pretty good. He's given some good like chest pats and like little it's a talks. Little, I, I I feel like when he does that, I mean, I feel like he has to do that sometimes because he's the elder statesman now. He has a responsibility to like 
to encourage like young coaches and encourage like young less talented players who play their hearts out and he he wants to encourage them but i also feel like if if you're on the other team you don't you can take it two ways one like oh my god here's an all-time coach giving me props or two you could just say wow this is really patronizing let's just get on with it you know like you beat us you guys have the best players every year let's just let's just get on with it so you know, it's like it's it's a tough like sort of position to be in. Like Coach K was very critical of Dean Smith when Coach K was a young coach, and Dean Smith was the elder statesman, and the roles were reversed. Like he had some few choice words uh, for both Dean Smith as well as in post game. Well, well, I think he felt press conferences. I mean, what was his complaint about Dean Smith? Uh, two sets of rules, officiating, um, sort of like felt entitled. But why is that Dean Smith's fault, or why why did he think it was? He just was. He, he would. He was calling it out. He wasn't just happy to play the guy who's receiving the benevolent Dean Smith's wisdom and happy to be sharing the court with him. Like you know, he, he had the competitive fire to be better than him. Yeah, he right. wanted. He wanted to fight with Dean Smith, not not fight with him, but yeah, I compete agree. with him but, rather but than there lay was, down. There to was him. that whole you know like Coach K and Jim Balvano were the young, were the young pups in the league, and Dean Smith was the established guy who had the national championship. Sure, and. You know, like it's just it's, it's easy to demonize this, success. Yeah, the dynamic is different. Like you know, if when he goes and he and he pats uh, the Duke's athletic director's son, who's the head coach of Florida, or all these young up and coming coaches at smaller schools, like could uh, be seen as condescending or it, something. It could be seen as sort of patronizing, but you know, that kid, that kid who made all the three point shots, Hill, the guard from Florida. I saw yeah. him drop thirty two on Kentucky last year. Yeah, I saw him. Uh, I saw Coach Gay do the the chest pat and spend a little time in his ear. And I'm sure he's saying things that that kid will. I mean, there's a chance he's saying things that kid will never forget. He'll tell his grandchildren about. Yes. You know, like if you lost to one of John Wooden's teams, John Wooden came up to you and said, "You played a great game, son." I mean, that's valuable. And I think Coach K has an awareness of that and mostly uses it for good. Last year, and that incident where he he scolded a player, uh, Dylan Brooks, Oregon. Yeah, so it's not okay. I'm not knocking him doing that. I actually love that he does that. Yeah. But it, it it goes to like say the reason I dislike Cam Newton so much is that like I feel like he's a poor winner and he's even much much worse loser. Like he when he's winning, he just like rubs it in people's face, and when he's losing, he's very very like a he's a whiny little. You know, so Coach K, like, if he's gonna do the handshake and pat all the coaches on the on the on the chest or whatever when he wins a game and he's trying to be all elder statesman like, when you get when you lose to Louisville, he gave Rick Pitino the total walk off. You know, like I remember, you, like it's just so if you're gonna be like, okay, I'm I'm gonna be above the game and be statesman like, be, be statesman like when you lose and and. Don't get me wrong, he is. I think he's a very classy loser. But I just remember Usually. that. I remember mm-hmm. that he he barely acknowledged Rick Patino. He like gave him the quick handshake and he just walked right by him. And it was clear Patino wanted to talk to him briefly after the game, but he just blew right by him. And I don't know if there's I mean, he's fiery. history there. Yeah, well, Coach K's fiery. Yeah. He is emotional. Yes, and very much so. Used to be more overtly emotional, I think, in games. Yeah. He's from so, from the Bobby Knight school, but I think he learned from, from Bobby Knight. Not only what to do in a lot of situations, but what not to do. Yes. And he, he gets it. Uh, and yeah. my and favorite thing about Coach K is when he's asked about a game, 
always right after the other team, always. Yeah, but it's not just lip service. He's t- like when it's a great game, he tells you, "This was a great game," and you can tell he means it because he loves the game yeah. and he's paying attention. He's not he's not mailing it in, you know. And he has this, and I think uh, you know when Duke haters listen to him, they think, "Oh, he just knows what to say," but he, I. He clearly didn't have the Oregon game. He did not have the Oregon. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I. He's not perfect. I, yeah, he's you know, certainly he's, he's not, not perfect. God. And, and I love the yeah. guy. He's he's great. But I I don't know if I 100% agree with you about the lip service. Like I feel like against certain teams that aren't great teams in the post game interview, he'll still say, you know, this was a great team. They were a really really good team. Like you know. Maybe he doesn't always say like this is one of the great games. I was lucky to be a part of it. Like he doesn't say that after every game. He says it when it when it's yeah. when it's correct to but say. But I, I I do like that he always he almost always credits the opponent. He almost always says they outplayed us. You know, like like uh, in the title game against Wisconsin, like Bo Ryan really rubbed me the wrong way. Like he was complaining about the officials. He was complaining. He was saying our team's the most it was shocking off- offensively actually. efficient team in history. But there are some reasons why it didn't look like we were tonight. Like instead of saying like you know it was a great game. The reason we lost is because Duke made more plays down the stretch. Tyus Jones made more threes down the stretch. They made more steals down the stretch. Instead of giving credit to your opponent, even if you feel like you got jobbed a little bit by the reps, like to to be classy in in that way, like I like I feel like Coach K will almost always be like that, like very classy. Um, but I mean, again, it's got to be tough because like th- things are so raw after yeah. a moment like that. But, you know, K's, Coach K's been like that. He's lost. He lost so many title games. He lost so many Final Fours early on in his career. Like, people thought he couldn't win the big one until he got Grant Hill. I don't know if I would have said till he got Grant Hill. till he got Christian Lehner and Bobby Hurley. Still, I mean, they, Grant Hill they, they lost in two Final Fours before they got Grant Hill with Christian Lehner and uh, Bobby Hurley. We're going to have an argument about that one day. I mean, it's I'm not, not, it's I'm not, not saying, our area of expertise. I'm not saying he won it because of Grant Hill. Yeah. I'm just saying Coach K lost a bunch of national title games right. and Final Fours. Right. No, and, me and, and, he, and he handled it. To I mean, obviously, I don't know for sure, but like he definitely didn't handle it like Bo Ryan did after the 2015 season. I think we can both agree Bo Ryan tarnished his, his legacy, his reputation a bit for, for anyone that, that – Spent any time yeah. thinking about it yeah. or listening to what he said. Yeah. Call, calling it, you know, we don't rent a player, you know. Yeah, it was, like it was just uh, sour grapes. And it was surprising from a man of his age and of accomplishment. But I get it. I think for him it was so painful. He finally got there. He was holding. He was, he was there the previous year. He lost in the Final Four game. Yeah, so but, but he, they were up nine in the championship game with 10, 11, 12 minutes left. Nine minutes left. They were up nine. You know, and then Grayson Allen comes in, like out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. <laughs> out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. This guy gets four, four point four points a game. Yeah. yeah, and maybe there was a call down the stretch that could have gone the other way or two. I mean, we we definitely benefited from a, a few calls, but we've also. But been what like, I'm what I'm saying is, Bo Ryan's been. I mean, he's he's got. And they love each other. I mean, Coach Gray and Bo Ryan, they love each other. They have yeah, he's tons of mutual respect for each other. He's probably a good guy who just lost a little perspective right then because he came so close to grabbing that cup and just came up short. And riding off and, into the sunset. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so, you know. I mean, I can, I can feel for that. I like giving human beings the benefit of the doubt when I can. That said, he handled it wrong, and he, I, I'm always going to remember him for that, partly. And it's too bad. It's too bad. How do we get into this? We just 
go off on tangents since we have no outline or notes in front of us. <laughs> yes. Uh, we were going to t- get into, we talked about Matt Jones and his standing amongst Duke all-time kind of on-the-ball oh, on perimeter, perimeter defenders. defenders yeah. And we were, we were, that was one of the things we were going to talk I about today. I threw McClure and you left at me. I, it was a joke. That, that's all you could come up with. And then we, we felt bad that we had not, we just didn't have like kind of that at our fingertips in the moment. And I was, I was tired. I was operating on a little sleep. So we did a little preparing for this one. I think we both have a... Very little. Yeah. I was going to, we were going to do a whole segment, but we're already 45 minutes in and I'd prefer to you know, save like the whole defense discussion, all-time grades. We can do our all-time Duke defensive teams. Uh you know, one of these upcoming podcasts. Tweet us your thoughts. Email us your thoughts. Yeah, definitely. If you're uh, listening. We have an email. It's DukeBasketballJunkies at gmail.com. Um, and we're Twitter, DukeBBJunkies. That's our handle. And, uh, you know, we're still building the following. We're not really uh, tweeting as much as we planned to initially, but at some point we'll get on there and we definitely check the thing. So, uh, you know, if you enjoy the podcast and you want any input, we're looking for feedback in general, uh, and if you have thoughts on who we should pick for our all-defensive team, uh, and we'll do all-time great teams. I think we'll do that stuff in the off-season, probably. Sure. But let's let's just mention a few names because we did a little preparation. Uh, let's limit it to on-the-ball perimeter or wing defenders. Uh, nineteen ninety-eight on. <laughs> okay, nineteen ninety-eight. On modern modern Duke basketball history. Why is it ninety eight? Why isn't it ninety four? We started the Duke in ninety four. Sure. Guys, we saw we can do live or since. Sure. Did you, did you feel dated when they flashed uh, Jason Tatum and Marquise Bolden's birth dates in the telecast? No, in my line of work, I'm dealing with those kind of those kind of ninety eight is when they were born when we were graduating. Yeah. 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 We're right. old. We're on we're on the back end of our lives, Mike. I gotta tell you, I felt old when people's birthdays were in the '90s at all. As soon as like guys had 1990, like professional athletes, 1990, that made me feel old back then. As far as I'm concerned, as soon as I turned 13, I felt old. You know, I'm always gonna be 12 years old. The things that were most important to me when I was 12 are still some of the most important things to me. Michael Jordan's still the best athlete in the world. Wayne Gretzky's still the best hockey player. Michael Jackson's still the biggest rock star. And Tom Cruise is the biggest movie star. That was all the case in 88. And like everyone past them is new. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. Mm. Uh, all right, so defensive players. Why don't, why don't we trade off? We'll each name three guys that we think We're talking are, are on worth the ball, discussing. On the ball, perimeter defenders. We talked about Matt Jones, and we said we don't actually think he's probably one of the best defenders in the country top five at least or didn't deserve this kind of superlatives they were giving him yeah and yes i'm not sure if we were right or not but as part of the thought exercise i said well let's name some guys who he does compare to and let's think about it that who who he compares to or who we just in a vacuum think are, are the best on the ball defenders guys from our duke experience that we think were the best so uh this excludes big men so you know does it exclude shane battier no, I think we can talk about Shane Battier. He's hands down the best. No question. He's the be- I think he was the best all-around defender, clearly. Yes. You know, he won three. I think he won three Defensive Player of the Years. As a freshman, before he was, like, even the man, I just remember his hands getting tipping balls, 
stealing balls. You know, he could he only hit layups that year. As a freshman. <laughs> but yeah, he yeah. had just incredible hands. Incre- mostly though, it was his brain. It was like so smart, and it was the way he blocked. He didn't like try to make these uh, bring the house down blocks up into the upper deck. Like he would yes. block it to a teammate, or he would block it straight down and catch catch, catch it. Yeah. You know, like he would he would want the ball. He wouldn't just want the oohs and ahs and the highlight reels. Yeah. Super brainy. Yeah, he's always tipping balls to the teammates. Battier for sure is one. He doesn't quite quite fit the Matt Jones. Like he's, he's bigger. Yeah, I mean, he didn't I, guard. He didn't guard like point guards. But if he had a, like he was guarding Richard Jefferson, more than. I you think know. in that game he was guarding Lauren Woods. Oh my gosh, you're right. He was guarding Lauren Woods for a lot of the, the minutes. Yeah, Battier was super versatile. Uh, in terms of, I'll Actually, throw one I out. I have a picture at home where Lauren Woods wasn't with Arizona. He was with Wake Forest. It was a few years earlier. And Woods has about five inches on him, and Battier has a clean block, just just straight up. It's one of the pictures. Wow. In my house. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Okay. <laughs> so uh, to go back to your question of best on the ball de- uh, defenders, so what I'm thinking is um, quick laterally, left to right, uh, long arms, and the ability to always stay in front of your man. Right, the guy that we both I mean, we informally Agreed. talked about this, that like we remember from our time there or right after, it was Chris Duhon. Mr. Chris Duhon. Uh, I know he's the career leader in steals at Duke. He, yeah. people couldn't get by him. He was super fast. He was such a great defensive player. Really long. Yeah. Really long. Yeah, his and, hands and like, could touch the ground from a standing up position almost. He was a pretty good point guard. Uh, good pass. Decent shot, like offensively. It seemed like he was gonna. He should have been better than he was, but he actually had a pretty lengthy NBA career, and I think that speaks to his defense. Okay. Yeah, um, I think he's a no-brainer as one of the top on-the-ball perimeter defenders. Uh, how does he compare to Matt Jones? He's different. He's not as physical. Yeah, different because he's typically guarding the point guard. Yeah. And Matt Jones is sort of more um, malleable. He can guard. One, two, three, four. The guy Matt Jones reminds me the most of physically, probably, on defense, is Chris Carrawell. Yes. Uh, the way he, like, his stances, he, he doesn't have the hands that Chris Carrawell had. Chris Carrawell stole more balls, I think, and got more tips. But, he, you know. It's like one of those great cornerbacks you might not get a ton of steals. He's the guy I wish I had thought of when we were talking about this last week. I said, yeah, I think like he's like Chris Carrawell. I think that's who he reminds me of. I, I'm not sure which one is the better defender on the ball. Chris Carrawell or Chris, Matt Jones? Chris Carrawell certainly had a lot more to do uh, yeah. the rest of the game, especially his junior-senior year. So I don't know that it's fair. I mean, Matt Jones is only concentrating on defense. You know, he doesn't have to expend a lot of energy on offense. Yeah, I, I felt like Chris Carrawell is maybe two inches taller and a much, much wider uh, wingspan. And yeah, that, that, more wingspan. Al- that always helps with, with quick feet. Sure. Who else you got? I thought Sean Dockery. Good. Puts a lot of pressure on the ball. Yeah. Dockery is super fast. Like, quicker. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't blow you away. I, I thought, um, it, just in terms of, like, length, Elliot uh, Williams was only there for a year, but... Yeah, I don't think he qualifies. He was there too brief a period of time. He played, like, 15 games. Yeah. 
but it was because of his defense. And he had, again, like those long arms. That's and a good one. This might not be a popular pick, but I thought Rashid Suleiman was a very good perimeter defender. Like he's athletic, 6'4", long arms, um, stay in front of his man. And for some reason, and I never quite understood this, Coach K seemed to love Tyler Thornton. And it, I, my guess is it had to be because he was always in front of the guy. Like he was a good talker on defense and he could – Stay in front of the other point guard. If the best we can do is Tyler Thornton <laughs> and but again, and, these, and aren't Suleiman, these aren't necessarily comparisons to Matt Jones. I'm just talking I about mean, Coach K. Loved Lee Melchione too, you know, because he was an effort player. Tyler Thornton. I just, you know, I'm I'm glad we don't have to watch Tyler Thornton start a point guard for the current team. That's all I'll say. Yeah, I mean, when he's God on, bless him. On the God court, bless him. I'd he be was, like, is this really the best guy we have? Uh, if we're going that route, I'll go Jay Heaps. Come on. Jay Heaps came in for half season when we needed them. Uh, no. Wojo is the one that it's real interesting. He's he's uh that's controversial. The most effort. Yeah. The most dogged. Yeah. The he's, least he's, talented in terms of. Yeah. Well, I don't okay. know. I mean, let maybe me, that's not fair. But let me interrupt you. Short arms. Yeah. With with Wojo, <laughs> I feel. Like, the point I was making about Grayson Allen this year offensively, like, against lesser teams, against, like, lesser schools, less talent, he can just always dribble, penetrate, and drive by his opponents and get dunks and look like an, a stud. But when he plays against Kentucky and Kansas and Florida against more talented teams, he doesn't look as good. Same, I, I feel like you can make that comparison defensively with so Wojo. Wojo yeah. against lesser teams was just like a pit bull. He would just steal the balls right out of the hands of, of their guards, and he was always staying in front. But against better, talented guards, they would just blow right by him. For example, like, at the Elite too, Eight, our too, senior year. Too painful a memory. Too painful. We're up double digits 17. against Kentucky. 17, 17, was it? 17 with about 11, 12 minutes left. And this is the Kentucky team that, that, that won the national championship. But Wayne Turner... Wayne Turner destroyed Wojo, and and Coach K didn't. didn't and Coach adjust K never adjusted, and he Wojciechowski won Defensive Player of the Year that year. Yeah, so and so he in, just gets in, in his, torched. Yeah, in his defense, he was so like that's why I say it's controversial. Like, yeah, he's a great defender, but he's not a great defender against everyone. He mostly was. I mean, he he was incredibly successful his senior year, and. Watching Wojo journey from yeah. goat to hero, yeah, and then just offensively he really came around too. He worked on his shot a lot. His three point shot was yeah. was uh, was just got better and better each year. I'll tell you what, let's with more confidence. Let's do a ranking of point guards and we'll see where Wojo actually falls. Like when you get when it comes down to brass tacks, and you, we can even say them their last year they played at Duke, and we'll see where he falls. Like Greg yeah. Paulus came in similar to Wojo. Yeah, very similar. Never, never was a effort was there. Pulse was never was, got there. Was always much more offensively. Yeah, on defense. I mean, he yeah, never, on defense he, never got he was there. he was he would always make his opponent look like an all star, maybe an all American. Yeah, I wonder if Wojo would have been better at quarterback at Syracuse too. Probably not. <laughs> I'd like to see Jason Tatum play quarterback at Syracuse. Luke Kennard was the all state quarterback. I think we've had a decent number of, um, you know, like all conference, all state quarterbacks on right. basketball teams. Best quarterback of all time. If you could take any Duke players, this is the last thing. If you could take any Duke player from the last 35 years, 
and install him, train him to be a quarterback his whole life, and install him on your favorite football team, who would you want that guy? Who would you want to be quarterbacking? You get one answer. Recency bias. Who's the answer? Luke Kennard. Wow. I'll say quarterback in Ohio, which is a football state. Yeah. He's tall. I'm going to pick someone. Okay. I'm going Grand Hill. Just because of that one. Yeah. Yeah, because because he had. Three quarter length pass to Christian Lehner. Listen, it's the only long distance pass he ever threw that that we remember. No, I mean, no, 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 no. That's not true. They actually ran that exact same play against Wake Forest. That's true. The, he made a three-quarter length pass, and it sailed left, and they lost the game. So he's actually one for two. One for two. That's a good point. Checkmate. Grand Hill, though. I'll still take him. I mean, I'm going to train him his whole life to be a quarterback. Grand Hill would I guess be he's like gonna, RG3, he's and gonna, he would get hurt. He's going to get hurt. Three games. Uh, you're probably right. I blew it. I blew it. Can I, can I do it again? Next podcast. Okay, so coming up, we've got, in, in just two days, uh, we've got uh, Duke UNLV at the brand new T-Mobile Arena. Uh, looking forward to that Saturday afternoon. I don't think it'll be much of a game. I feel like Duke's going to be favored by close to 30 points. Uh, but we pro- hopefully we won't see Grayson play because he'll be resting, but maybe we'll see Javin Delorier make some sick blocks. <laughs> I, I just want to see Jason Tatum up close. I want to see Harry Giles. You're not going to see Harry Giles, but I want to see him too. Yeah. I want to see Jason Tatum. I, I want to see those arms, I those think, long arms. And I hands. think Coach K did did hint that uh, Giles will come in Coming before in. the first Virginia Tech ACC game, uh, December so, 31st. So I think he'll warm up with one of the two games before that, both, yeah. both relatively easy. If we look at how he brought in Bolden games. and Tatum, it was against a cupcake. So yeah, maybe just, just, just to get their win. At home, yeah. You know. All right, well, uh, we'll sign off for now. Uh, Thanks for listening. Go Duke. Go Duke all the way to Phoenix.